the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Alrighty, welcome to tonight's webinar. It's on financial aid ch 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 changes. You're welcome for not saying that. Pearl and Andy Lockwood, thank you for joining us. Hello, Pearl. Hi, Andy. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Pearl's on the hot seat tonight because I have uh, so many questions to to ask her in her capacity as the resident financial aid maven here at Lockwood College Prep. Pearl does approximately 300 plus families worth of financial aid applications every year. So I think you're getting the hang of it. I think so. I hope so. Um, so before we start, just let us know that, uh, you know, introduce yourself in the chat. Let, let us know where you're from. Let us know that we're coming in loud and clear, that the technology is working because we learned the hard way to make sure that uh, that actually happens. And yeah, we have a lot of people coming on. We're already hit 100. And we have more than double registered. So. There we go. Hello, Sabrina. Janice. Good. I assume you guys can hear. Uh, Carrie North Belmore. Tuning in from Brooklyn, Janice. Adrian Katz. Hello. Rebecca Tudor from Miami. All right. Chris from LA. Client Chris. Okay, Meredith from Very NYC. Nice. Cool. Carrie Croco from two blocks away. <laughs> uh, hey, Paul, Jay. All right, Stephen, Robin. All right, good. Robin appreciates Robin. Pearl. I appreciate Pearl. We all should appreciate Pearl. Thanks, guys. Uh, all righty. So, lots so, of changes. Yeah, there are lots of changes that are um, that are pending. We still don't know how everything is going to shake out. So there's a very good chance that we were going to update this just to date stamp this. This is March 22nd. Yes. Yes. So 2023. Right. So um, we will most likely be updating this sometime before the fall. Okay. And there's a lot of changes and, and rules you know, related to those changes that have to do with how your eligibility is calculated how to uh, deal with special circumstances, i.e. those things that don't fit in the boxes of financial aid applications. Um, some major changes in those areas, major changes also for business owners, not necessarily good ones, um, but we'll give you some tips. Divorced and separated Divorced, families, yeah. big changes. Grandparents who pay help or other people who help pay for college. Yeah. Untaxed income changes, yeah. changes that have to do with the number of children in college at the same time. I don't like that one so much because we'll have three ourselves next year Yay. and which colleges will not be affected and which colleges will be affected. There's a whole lot. Um, if you have questions and we totally expect you will, we'll try to stay on as long as we can. We're trying to keep this to about an hour, uh, but lob your questions into the chat and I will, I will um, channel them. We'll, right. To we'll, Pearl. Get through the, we'll get through the material and then we'll get to your questions for sure. Very cool. All right, Pearl. So All right. let me, I'm just going to start grilling. Please. Like a, like a piece do. of fish. Um, all right, so let's talk about eligibility. So what's the current way 
that okay. they calculate eligibility for aid and right. how's it changed? So first of all, just <clears throat> with respect to everything we're going to talk about in terms of changing and what's changing and when it's changing, what we are talking about now does not affect the aid year we have currently been applying for, which is the 23-24 school year, the one that begins this fall for, for applicants that are applying right now for whether it's their freshman year or returning aid year, that is the fall 23 to 24 is not governed by what I'm about to talk about. What I am about to talk about will begin if this all goes into effect, and right now it is scheduled for the 24-25 school year, which is a year from this fall. And just to keep it all together, the operative tax year, the tax return that is going to be used for that aid year is going to be the 2022 tax return, the one that many of you are currently filing or may have already filed or are about to file. So a lot of what I'm going to say may affect just how you file those 2022 returns. So now that we got the time frame set, and we all understand that, now we can continue. Right now, the, um, the federal financial aid governs and computes your, your financial aid eligibility by determining your EFC, which stands for your expected family contribution. The Department of Education is doing away with the EFC methodology and is going to, it is now going to be called the SAI, which stands for Student Aid Index. And while there will be obviously much overlap in terms of that which went into the calculations, namely your income and your assets, a lot of other things have changed as between, you know, what the EFC determined and what the SAI will determine. The SAI, essentially, when one files a FAFSA, is going to spit out an SAI number, and it's that number, again, that the federal government deems that your family can pay for a year of college. Okay. It just sounds less judge, judging than expected. Yeah. Family contribution. Right. Our, our, our government bureaucrats at work. Yes. Yeah. It's an index. No expectations. <laughs> yeah, we have very low expectations. Yes, okay. Exactly. All right. So, you know, so, what, what what can you say about some of the um, some of the, the changes, changes to the eligibility? Because right. I know there's several. Some are probably so more important to some people really, than others. Yeah. A really, really big one um, is the new need analysis under the student aid index is removing the number of family members in college from the calculation. So what this means is currently, if you have multiple students in college or even grad school at the same time, that number would actually divide your EFC by the number of students that you have, children you have in college at the same time, thereby lowering your EFC, your expected family contribution, and significantly potentially putting you in a need eligible place where with maybe one child in college, you would not be need eligible. Um, under yes. So just to use an example, if two families have the same income, same savings, all that, and one family has one child, and their expected family contribution is fifty thousand dollars, five zero. The other family with two kids in college, their expected family contribution would be twenty five thousand dollars because that for each, each child. Because, Sorry, I don't, I don't step on your shoes. 
toes. Um, I do step on your toes. So, so what currently that F in family gets a portion among the family members who are in college. Next year, allegedly, you know, this could be, you know, this this is being debated uh, as far as we know, right. sort of in in um, in in conference, right, in committee. There's a lot of pushback for yeah. this. Um, but that family with two kids in college will have a fifty thousand dollar SAI, not EFC, just the same way as the family with one kid in college. If everything else is the same, really defies logic. Um, but that's the way it was drafted by outgoing chairman Grassley, uh, his staff, and we're not sure if it's uh, if it's going to be effectuated. My bet is that it will not be, but that's the way it is right now. Okay, another uh, change. This is going to appear on its face to be a nice, good thing. Um, the income protection allowance goes up for both the student and the parent. This means that a student or a parent can earn up to whatever this new protection allowance amount is, and I'll explain how that works or what that means. Um, and 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 your your uh, eligibility will not be jeopardized. In other words, okay. Um, each family, based on their metrics, age of the parents, how many children they have, etc., um, is is allotted a certain income that they can earn up to before they are going to incur any financial aid penalty. They have now raised that income number, however. Having been doing this for the past 20 years, I can tell you there has been a steep decline in the asset protection number. It has been trending down, 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 down. So now that it's practically at nothing, we're basically, okay, your first $10,000 of income is protected, but everything after that isn't. Okay, great. Um, maybe they're raising it to what it was, had already come down to a couple years ago. So it sounds great, but it's not super great. It is designed though to, to help more um, lower income families get more aid and qualify for the Pell Grant. Like the Pell Grant limits have changed also. That's another change under the SAI and the new FAFSA rules. So just to, to pick up on that exclusion concept. So you know, taxes work this way too. So there's a certain amount of income that doesn't get taxed and then once you go over that it starts to get taxed on a sliding scale that's how financial aid eligibility works too so there's a certain amount of income that's protected and then anything above that gets assessed or penalized anywhere usually up to 47 percent. so so at the top it's it's a lot and um, a lot of our clients that's that's how their income gets penalized and when i say penalized what that does is that increases the efc which is changing to sai yeah. right Okay, uh, another change with the new iteration of the FAFSA is uh, they are claiming it will be even more streamlined. Um, where possible, they are going to match the FAFSA with the IRS site. Right now, uh, there is the existence of the data retrieval tool, which um, is often but not always available to a family to be able to directly pull in their actual submitted to the IRS tax information directly from the IRS site right into the FAFSA site where it literally re, you know, reprints and says transferred by the IRS without giving numbers, but it, it is um, 
uncovered with numbers to the to the various financial aid offices in each school. Um, but they're going to try to have even more of your data ported in such a way. Um, you know what we didn't talk about, which I, I don't think it's on our outline. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to cover this, so I apologize. Um, the new timeline. When you talked about the taxes, I, yeah. but there was an announcement well, just yesterday. Yes. Okay, so, so what's the deal? Right. When's the FAFSA coming in? Yeah. I, I, actually, so, before you answer that, just so you know, there's a big problem with parents filling up all the information. You know, we, as a, I mentioned this at the top of the broadcast, Pearl does more than 300 of these a year for, for families. But the colleges themselves, the financial aid offices, also have a ton of, I, I don't even know how to describe it, just a bunch of admin gobbledygook that they have to go through to make sure that they're giving, they're using, their systems are up and running for this. And every year up until, um, I guess this year coming up, the FAFSA was released in October. October, October 1st. 1st. But now, what's the latest? Now, they, the latest is December 23rd for the FAFSA. Yes, after early decision and early action decisions come out, before we even submit any financial aid. I can't even imagine how this is going to work. I but right imagine, now... I can't imagine what your winter break is going to look like. Right now, this FAFSA that typically comes out and is often filed for my clients, you know, way before then, um, comes out normally October 1st, is not scheduled to come out next year until the end of December. And the, and the chat before the chatter before that was in January, which was also stupid. And this is also supposedly going to be a completely reformatted computer situation, and rollouts can be. Yeah. challenging and complicated as I've experienced in the past. Yeah, but let me make a prediction. It's going to be a cluster, you know what, um, just the same way. Remember when they when they trotted out the app to do the FAFSA? Yeah. Yeah, where's well, that? It's gone. Yeah, exactly. No that, that was brought out with a lot of fanfare and quietly slunk off into yeah. the night, yeah. retired. Um, this is going to be, uh, if it's not a cluster, you know what, I will be shocked because these, apparently the technology that the FAFSA is based on has been around since the 60s, you know, when Lyndon Johnson sort of uh, created mm -hmm. the whole federal financial aid system, and it's very clunky. So this overhaul to streamline it, you know, I'm not a computer science guy, so I can't tell you exactly what's, what's happening, but all I know is that it's gonna be perfect. When, the, when the government does this, you know, this type of thing, programming stuff, just like with the healthcare exchange and, you know, you name it, there's, there's always issues. So. Um, Unfortunately, I think that means uh, for you and anyone who's filing financial aid applications, it's, it's going to be um, a hassle. Um, I haven't heard anything. We haven't heard this was just announced yesterday, so we haven't heard m much of anything from colleges in terms of when their deadlines are going to be. Um, then, then there's also the issue of you know there's 400 or so colleges that require the CSS profile right. financial aid application, which is really for private institutional funds. And it has nothing to do with the government, and that you know, there's no problem, there's no changes with that. As, as far, far as, as we know, know yeah. right? Sub substantively, so all of the things that I'm discussing in terms of the changes and how they view things currently versus how they're going to view things under the new methodology for the FAFSA, there is the CSS profile is silent as to these items. So, as far as we know and understand, 
those things will remain the same as they've been, specifically, for example, number of students in college. If you're at a CS profile requiring school, I mean, the CS, every CSS profile requiring school gets the FAFSA. Every school gets the FAFSA, but then a subset get this other form, the CSS profile, which goes into- In addition. In addition, in addition. Okay, another- I'm sorry, um, and I see questions coming in, so I, when we, we will pause and I will uh, either answer them or, or have Pearl answer them. So Judith, Adrian, Carrie, okay. uh, Adrian again. Yeah, lob them in there. Okay. Uh, the other another change in the new FAFSA. Uh, actually, some of these have taken place already this year. For example, they're well next year. They're going to remove the question about selective service. Actually, that was this year. Um, there's no longer the question or requirement that you register for selective services. The draft selective service registration, which is the draft. Um, and it no longer is going to require those who have students who have been drug convicted of drug convictions to indicate so and then therefore be precluded from federal aid. That's no longer a requirement. So if you're an addict and you've been convicted, you can still get federal funds? Yes. Hmm. No um, comment. The, uh, there are additional questions now which are voluntary. Uh, that asks you your sex, your race, and your ethnicity. What about how you identify? And how you identify. Yes. It could be something totally different. How many um, um, how many choices are there for gender? Fifty. Handful. Don't roll your eyes at me on, on when we're live. Okay. Save that for off off the air. Okay. Um. They, as I've already mentioned, they've lowered the um, EFC, which is going to be the SAI, from zero, which is the lowest expected family contribution number one can have, to a negative SAI of negative $1,500. And this, again, is That's to really? expand the, yes, federal Pell Grant. Wait a minute. So, so if you have a negative contribution, in theory, could someone pay you to go to college? No, I just think it means you're going to be eligible for more of a federal Pell Grant than you were if you just had a zero. Okay. Uh, also, the other change is incarcerated students uh, in federal and state penal facilities will again now have the ability to uh, receive a federal Pell Grant, etc. Okay. Another big change, um, while the current FAFSA does not and the new FAFSA will also not permit you to um, provide any kind of special circumstances section or give any kind of written explanation of your circumstances. However, a change that is also starting in 24-25 um, is more on the colleges. They must, they, they, are not, they are forbidden from having a policy where they deny all, you know, professional discretionary judgment on considering unusual or special circumstances. They must have a policy in place where they're open to considering such uh, unusual circumstances. Can I jump in? Yep. All right, so to clarify, um, there, there's the FAFSA, which doesn't allow anything other than you just to populate data. There's yeah. no explanation necessary, but frequently people have a story behind the numbers. So if we're submitting, your tax returns from 22, but 23 was a terrible year. 
they won't know that. So that's a change in circumstance. Your your income dropped, but you can't you can't put that anywhere on the FAFSA. Uh, that's not the case for the CSS profile, by the way. But right. we're talking about the FAFSA right now. So um, so in effect, what this policy is is this, this new rule is there's still gonna not, not gonna be any place for you to put that on your FAFSA, but the burden is on you. It's incumbent upon you if you have a special circumstance to then you know, bring that to the attention of the financial aid office. That's fine, that's the way it was before. But now, apparently, every financial aid office has to consider it. Doesn't yeah. mean they have to rule on it you right. know, favorably. Exactly. It's, like, it's like a stupid, I know. yeah, so. I know, it's a, it's a real nuance. But now they have to have actual policies in place and, and, and a way to express your unusual circumstances and have it be theoretically heard and deliberated on. Well, all, all, it, all it really means is they have to listen. Doesn't mean that they have to consider them. That's right. That is actually like marriage. Okay. What? Here's a big one. Another big change. Business owners, farm owners, listen up. Right now, a uh, network of farms or small business businesses with fewer than 100 employees were exempt from the formula completely exempt, determined to have a value of zero for financial aid purposes, and that is changing. With the overhaul of the federal student aid system, known as the FAFSA Simplification Act, mm, ironically. It's like the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, has removed that exemption about fewer than 100 employees, treating those assets, your business assets or your farm assets, as liquid. Uh, so now small business owners and farm owners will now be required to share the value of these businesses or farm on the FAFSA. This is a big change. Uh, this value will be included in the SAI calculation. There is, as you can imagine, lots of pushback from different lobbyists and groups uh, because the whole, from the name, the FAFSA Simplification Act, the, the reason for the overhaul was to try to get more families involved in the federal financial aid system and more people applying and to get more people who are eligible um, get their needs met. Um, and of course, this uh, there was a lot of pushback because this is very complicated and is going to turn a lot of people off from even completing the FAFSA. Uh, so... The new valuation is going to work as follows. For the net worth of your business, which of course uh, we can all acknowledge that there are many different ways to value a business. There's how, you know, someone's asking you uh, on a Friday night in an elevator, hey, how much is your business worth? You might say one thing, or if you're going to sell your business, it's worth another thing. And if you're. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There are different <laughs> scenarios for which you're going to value your business. But nonetheless, in any event, essentially, your, your net worth of your business, uh, what assets your business has, all of its assets all in, uh, net against your um, the debts of your business. So let me just back then, up here. Let, let, yeah, let me right. just uh, in, in, interrupt again. So, so, so what Pearl is saying is that now business value has to be reported. And there is, um, uh, and it's not automatically zero the way it, it, it was for a lot of uh, most people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people got this wrong, by the way. A lot of accountants don't understand this. 
So for the most part, this is one big area where a lot of self-employed people made mistakes. So now I think there's not going to be much of a change because, you know, people are making mistakes anyway. However, it's important to note that even though you have to um, disclose the value of your business, and she's going to get some very you know complicated uh, formulaic numbers here before she gets to that, um, what you should understand is that there's no guidance on how to value your business, right? right. Anywhere so far. It's, it's not like there's a formula. Well, take your gross revenue over the last five years, divide it by five and right. multiply it by blah, blah, blah. You know, there's nothing like that. So not there's yet. still going to be um, at least, you know, until, until someone tells us not to, this is what we're going to do. We are still going to be very, um, I guess, pessimistic, you know, or, or aggressive, depending on your, on your perspective in terms of, um, uh, lowballing the value of your business and it's defensible though. So, so in other words, if you own a law practice or a medical practice or a college consulting practice or right. you know, something you like that. You can't take a mahogany desk necessarily <laughs> and, and send well, you off to Yale and say, here is my fall semester. No. So, so, so if you were to sell it, right, what are you actually really selling? Let's say you had to sell in 30 days, that would be an even lower price. Right. So that could be close to zero, if, if not actually zero. But I think what this um, change speaks to is if your business owns real estate yeah. or, or a farm, which I guess and is real estate. And right. Yeah, right. So, so again, um, that might be a real value compared to like a consultant like, like we are or a law firm or something. However, I would still be aggressive in the lowballing and yeah. using the fire sale or any other way that you can defend. Um, you know, sometimes, I, I have this right now with a the client, um, they own real estate, but what they really own is a, um, a, a family uh, LLC that owns in the aggregate like 15% of real estate. So they really own that real estate. They do through a few companies, but they, it's, it's not like they can um, sell that on the open market and receive value for that and use that value as cash to pay for college. Right. So there's extenuating circumstances. You don't have to necessarily inflate the value of your business. But go, but go right. through some of these but here are weird the, calculations. The calculations that are offered in terms of the terms that we do know and can assess. So for net worth of businesses up to $135,000, the adjusted net worth would be a net worth times 40%. For net worths of businesses between 135,000 and 410,000, you're supposed to add $54,000 plus 50% of the amount over 135,000. Goes on for two more things. I'll bore you with these two more sentences. For a net worth of between 410 and 680, Add $191,000 plus 60% of the amount over $410,000. And then finally, for a net worth of over $680,000, you have to add $353,500 plus 100% of the amount over $680,000. And this is all to simplify. <laughs> Good one. Okay. Right. So um, let me let me just just make one more comment before we move on. I see a lot of questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to them. Someone was a little antsy about not getting her questions answered right away, uh, and I'm doing my best. Okay, um, I, keep, I also keep saying, "Just wait, we'll answer them." So, the thing about um, most people who have a small business is that this, the stuff that's going to uh, be picked up on 
by the financial aid officers are number one, it's not gonna be dollar for dollar. So let, let's say under this That's formula, right. you have $200,000 worth of business assets uh, through one of these things that, that Pearl just rattled off. Well, they're gonna take 40% of that um, and then, you know, which, which, which is uh, what, 80? Uh, $80,000 of 200. And then they're going to penalize you 5% as a parent asset on that. That's, that's my belief. Right. So, so you're talking about, you know, 4,000 bucks of, of reduction in eligibility. Probably. I mean, that's, that's the way it worked before that. So it's not, it's not like they're going to penalize you dollar for dollar for having a business. That's the way these. But it counts now to some degree. Yeah. But, but the reason. Like an investment property does. Sure. Yeah. Still does. And that's and I think that's acknowledged in these cockamamie formulas. And, it's not dollar for dollar. And in in the same fashion, real estate values have changed considerably in the last five years. It's gone like this because of the COVID bump and people were selling and whatever. And rates, so there was interest rates. interest rates now are up, so therefore things are calming down. But Clearly, what the value of your home is today is probably different than what it was about a year and a half ago in the helm of COVID and probably changing. And again, if we look back, you know, four years ago, it was different again. The point is, you know, it's the same asset, but it has different values in a relatively short period of time. So, too, these businesses will as well. Um, this, the part about uh, what shows up on your tax returns? Mm -hmm. Schedule C, if you right. have an S Corp, talk about that. So, because we have a strategy for that. Right. Too. So, in terms of, so the, right now, the businesses that will be, that you have to report or, or that are going to take, have these penalties are what's showing up on your, if you have an 1120S, an S Corp. Um, and that which on your personal return flows to your Schedule E. There is nothing about your Schedule if you have a C Corp. So that might be an avenue that you want to explore for your business if it's possible. Obviously, like anything else, you have to see what other cost benefits you get from not having or from having, uh, you know, the S Corp and what you stand to gain or what you stand to lose in terms of financial aid eligibility as a result of not making a change in the way you hold your, your corporate structure. Okay, now we're gonna get into- Well, so, yeah. so, so if you have an entity that doesn't pass through, that the income doesn't pass through, right? Um, like a C-Corp, right. then that will not flow through onto your uh, schedule one or schedule, or schedule C or, right. or schedule E. Schedule E. Okay. Or your schedule C, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, and that will not be in front of the prying eyes of the financial aid office. So a lot of accountants object to C corps. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because the difference is that the income does not flow through. So you, so in theory your tax double. But if you have expenses at the corporate level that you pay out, then you know that that's one way to kind of um, minimize or eliminate the double tax consequence that most accountants just say reflectively. So uh, I'm just giving you know, we're not accountants, so you need to speak to your accountant. And if you know, we and our clients get referred to our personal accountant uh, sometimes for this type of plan. Also, um, 
the income from these businesses that you have always received on your personal return that is still that has that was always part of the financial aid formulas that is continuing to be part of the financial aid formulas what we are referring to here so that's that's in terms of the income what's changing in the new financial aid formula is the asset of your business that you own is now being counted the asset your business is is considered an asset for financial aid purposes now uh, and, and a lot of times what financial aid offices do is they attribute some sort of value because they see income um, from that asset that's flowing through your tax return. And if you try to say, no, it's worth nothing, and they'll say, well, we see all this income coming out on your schedule C or E, um, then that's you know kind of a paper trail. But if they don't see that, you still, of course, need to report your business. But if they don't see that income coming through, then you can make a better argument, perhaps, that it's not really worth much. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, before I go into more bad news, I'm gonna just give us a, a bump of good news. Um, here's a good change in the new financial uh, aid formula. College costs paid by grandparents or others, um, there are no longer going to be consequences for those contributions made by others. Students will no longer be required to report any financial support they receive from friends and extended family members on the new FAFSA, including distributions from grandparent-owned 529 college savings plans. That's so so the current rule was that if there was a 529 or some other um, you know, account established by either grandparent or somebody else, not the parents, then when that money went to the college the following year, there'd be a reduction in eligibility of 50% of whatever that amount was that was sent. The new rule is, no harm, no foul. Right. Which is good. Yes. Okay. So you went out of order just. I did, just to temper our audience. Yeah, I felt like I was getting a little negative. Well, back to negativity. Here okay. we go. Divorced and separated families. This is a big one. Right now, um, the current rule is that the custodial parent which is the only parent that needs to provide financial information on the FAFSA is the parent with whom, and this is true of divorced or separated, the parent with whom the student resided with during the most recent 12 months. The majority of the time. Majority of the time, right. Whichever parent the student resided with greater than 50% of the time over the last 12 months is deemed the custodial parent. That's the way it currently is, that's the way it's been. And that had nothing to do with which parent declared the child as a dependent on the tax return. Irrelevant. That's now becoming highly relevant. Beginning the 24-25 aid year, which means the, 22, the 2022 tax return, whichever parent claimed that student on that tax return is the custodial parent for financial aid purposes. So if you are the parent who claimed the student, it is all your information that's going to go on the FAFSA for the 24-25 school year. So, so the issue is that a lot of times, and this is a generalization, is big. Um, the mom who had a low income or no income other than maybe some child support would, uh, is, where the, is, is, is the parent that the child would live with most of the time. But in exchange in that divorce settlement, the, the ex husband, dad, would uh, take the benefit of deducting the child on the tax return. 
So <clears throat> eligibility was pretty good in most cases because the custodial parent was the mom and the mom had the lower income. You can't do that anymore starting next year because the IRS rules are now going to, uh, the IRS um, situation is aligned with the financial aid situation. Now imagine all these people who papered and penned all their divorce and agreements and their, and their separation agreements uh, before this was even a thought. And now they're beholden to these little rules and their kids are going to suffer not having the best financial aid situation as a result. Okay. Hmm. That's great. Um, the other thing that's changing, uh, I guess, supposedly a little bit of a positive, um, the treatment of child support. Right now, child support is considered income, although it's untaxed income for income tax purposes. It is still considered income that gets added back in for financial aid purposes. The new rules, um, under the new rules, child support is just going to be treated like an asset of the parent. So, so, so what that means in numbers, and, and that's the that's the way the the government is explaining it. Here's the way I would explain it. So currently, um, any amount that you receive in child support is penalized up to forty seven percent of that amount. Under the new rules, it'll be penalized at five percent of that amount. It doesn't matter like if it's an asset or much less. Well, right. I'm just saying it's 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 sure. it penalized a lot less at five percent. So still penalized, but uh, which is you know kind of silly in my opinion. But it's much worse. Uh, so it's much more benign of a penalty. Right. And and there are other types of untaxed income that are also going to be done away with in terms of this same add back treatment that, that occurs now under the financial aid formula, specifically um, workers' compensation. Um, question. So that used to, just to be clear, so yeah. that used to be penalized, I and mean, currently that is penalized if you receive workers' compensation. It gets even the right for yeah. it's next, untaxed for income tax purposes, but it would be added back in for financial aid purposes. Yeah. And next year, no penalty. No penalty. Same with payroll contributions to tax return, tax deferred retirement accounts such as a 401k, 403b. Those will no longer be included as part of the formula, so it will not count against you. So just to plug in numbers, just so you understand this. Um, if you made $200,000 and you contribute $30,000 to your retirement account uh, off payroll, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then you're, you're being taxed on 170 for income tax purposes, but for financial aid purposes, you're penalized at 200. Now, under, under the proposed rules, you will be treated at 170 for tax purposes, but also for financial aid purposes. So that's a good thing. Yes. You double dipping. Yep. Um, okay. Let's see what else. Child support, I already explained, will now be considered an asset. Workers' comp, veterans' non-education benefits will also not be reported. Um, let's see what else. Okay, number of children in college at the same time. The as I explained, the discount is going to be eliminated for multiple children in college. This change, though, as I explained, is not in effect on the CSS profile, so we are not sure how those schools are going to continue to treat this and how to view how they're going to view it. You know, something we um, didn't put down in the outline that we should talk about um, mm -hmm. is 
what about like filing and getting the tax information and, and all that? That's a whole nother cluster, you know what, right? <laughs> I honestly think I honestly was I'm, it's so much and it's so big that I just it's too much for everyone to bite having trauma yes um, you can you can bring it up well I'm gonna get this wrong but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get directionally accurate uh, so so um, right now when you when you file your FAFSA there's two people involved the student and the parent and you've got to dump in your tax information in there Going forward, it's going to be a lot harder for the student to do that. Right? right. Because there's going to be all kinds of overt express permissions uh, required of any parent whose information of any kind is being provided. Whether they I'm not are... sure why and how that's super different than what, but it sounds like a lot more uh, hoops will need to be hopped through in right. order to make this happen. You don't just file. You need an FSA ID. You've got to you've, you've got to verify it. You've got to do Twenty this and that. Blood right. sample, and, urine sample. <laughs> and it sucks now, and it's going to be sounds like it's going to be worse next year. Yeah. Have fun. Right. So, what I just all right that was a lot. Let's just take a, a a little bit of breath. All right. Which schools will be affected? Which schools will not? Let me touch on that, and then we'll take a little bit of a bird's eye view and get to some questions. But basically, what I've all of these major changes that I have explained and expressed are scheduled to go into effect uh, for the 24-25 school year. And these will all affect FAFSA-only schools. So out of the 4,000 or so schools out of there that all require the FAFSA, most just require the FAFSA. So this will affect most schools out there. Which schools will not be affected? I don't know that. I'm not sure that any school will not be affected by this because every school gets the FAFSA. But the schools that are also requiring the CSS profile, which is, it goes into that much more detail than the FAFSA. And it is largely what those institutions requiring that information are gonna base your award on, the information. I don't know if they're going to align the differences that will be between the FAFSA and the CSS, if they're going to align those things or continue to view them differently. I don't know because there's been no discussion about that just yet. Um, what I can share with you, having been in practice for many, many, many years, there have been changes that have been proposed, you know, in the past for the future. And sometimes those changes don't end up happening. I'm not swearing that this is not happening, but some of these things may happen. All of them may happen, but often I don't have a crystal ball. I have a crystal ball. Um, Do you, don't you? I have one right here. Um, but I will say there's a good chance some of what's here is going to happen and some will not. Too soon to tell. And then, of course, you know, and then there's the whole Biden-Harris loan uh, forgiveness thing that's in the works in the hopper being litigated in the courts right now and uh, for loans that are currently been taken out for the past three years there's been a suspension of interest rate on both the student and parent loans that is expected to continue once again through June of 2023 and then supposedly at that point it's going to end and then interest rates are going to um, resume for all those loans from that date forward and for all loans taking taken going forward although and again 
We don't know what's really going to happen because because three years ago, when they first suspended the interest on the student and parent loans, that was like a six week time period, which then went to two months, which then went to a semester, which went to another semester, which went to another semester and another semester. Seriously. So my point is, this is very fluid and ever changing. And we will, of course, stay on top of it and report to you as soon as we know what's actually going to be. But we've just provided you like the most up to date current what's expected and what's going on but take it with a with a little bit of a grain of salt in in, in the historical context in that there have been many changes that are proposed over the course of time and some have happened and not all has happened just felt like i had to say that okay let's get to some questions <laughs> um so I, I just posted a link if you are We've never talked to you before, that's important, and you're interested in exploring getting Pearl in your corner or the, or the rest of us to help you, you know, navigate this process. As you can tell, even for us, it's hard for us to keep track of everything. I can only imagine what, a, what it's like for a normie to, um, to keep track of all of the changes and not to mention the strategies and the loopholes and, you know, the right way to complete your applications and the way it's going to end up giving you the most money that you possibly deserve and maybe even more. Uh, so we help with that. We help with negotiating with offers and yeah. Pearl takes care of really everything from soup to nuts that has to do with financial aid. Yeah. So if you are interested in exploring work together, there's no charge for this. Um, I just posted a link to the, um, to the page where you can fill out a quick application and then get on my calendar to, to speak. Um, this is only going to be for people who are watching this live tonight because uh, this is a very, very busy time of year for us. And we just, um, I, I can't spend my day just talking to people over, over and over again for free. <laughs> I don't mean to be a jerk about it. So, uh, so if you are interested in exploring working together, go ahead and book that. And um, if I can help you, I'll, I'll tell you. And if I cannot help, I'll tell you that also. All right. Okay. So let me fire away some questions at you, Pearl. Yeah. And um, all right, so good one from Adrian, which, which you did address, but it's a good question just to drive the point home. Shouldn't CSS schools just ignore a lot of the FAFSA shenanigans when it comes to things such as number of kids in school? Hope so. Hope so. And you know, the other thing that could happen, it's possible a lot of the schools will feel a little bit hamstrung by these new rules and certainly the, the timeline rollout uh, expected for these new rules and, and the facts altogether, mm -hmm. that they may put a lot more weight onto the CSS profile. And we may find that many currently FAFSA only requiring schools may start requiring the CSS profile as well, just to have that information sooner rather than later, since, you know, this is all kind of chaotic. Um, and there may be a CSS profile light. So the profile right now is anywhere from 200 to 300 questions. They're talking about doing a, a, a lighter version, maybe for those FAFSA schools that now are going to be missing right. all this information once the changes happen. Mm -hmm. All right, um, Carrie, will this be recorded? Yes. Uh, Adrian, a financial aid officer told me that a change in financial aid number would be affected by a change of $20,000 of income. Um, yes, because that can penalize you or, or reduce your eligibility by roughly half, almost half of that, so $10,000. Um, Judith, when do we complete the FAFSA for a 2024 first-time student? Well, normally I would have said, well, the FAFSA site 
becomes available October 1st, but since I can no longer say that right now, as of literally right now, they are expecting the release date to be December 23rd. Well, no, the answer is is but, whenever the right, college whenever tells you. Whenever the school tells you. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's going to be later altogether. Yeah. But bottom line is you should, when when your student decides which schools they're applying to, the school site, the school is the best source for the information as to when that school wants yeah. the FAFSA or the CSS profile. Best and Every own, school and is different. Source. Each school has yeah. their own process for how it determines aid when, and its deadlines and how it's going to communicate with you and what it's going to expect of your student. It, may, it will often assign login credentials to your student and expect your student to periodically log into their site to see what what needs uh, you know what needs uh, are still required of them and et cetera and so forth right so, so that was and, that was a big answer but that was I hope you guys are paying attention to that because a lot sometimes people just kind of gloss over that mm -hmm. it's not over when you file you got you have to keep an eye on all the crap that happens afterward yeah um and you say it's not over sometimes it's when it starts it is yeah it really is all right uh judy do we continue to file the fafsa for students going to graduate school yes yes um and if so is need evaluated differently well, yes it's evaluated on on their uh financials right uh, yes but but it's different because grad students are determined deemed independent and therefore it is the graduate students financial information that prevails and is considered and therefore most graduate students end up with an EFC or what's going to be an SAI of zero. Um, so everyone looks very, very need-based eligible, but there's not a whole lot of free money available for grad students. However, grad students can borrow entirely in their own name, you know, for the whole cost of attendance of grad school, the prerequisite of which is filing these forms. And there's also a lot of stipends That's and, and That's merit, right. merit aid for grad students. That's true. All right, question from Ms. Jones. Do you have a PowerPoint? Oh, oh this is, she, she asked this a few times. And she got a little angry that I wasn't responding. Um, this is our PowerPoint. No, we don't have one, sorry. <laughs> I didn't do a PowerPoint. Um, question. It wasn't in our budget. <laughs> yeah. Question from Lena. Uh, is it better to wait till after a financial aid decision is made before explaining unusual circumstances or send the info with the FAFSA. So you, you can't send the info with the FAFSA. Right. So you don't have a choice. You gotta do it afterward. However, right, the only thing that's new is each school is going to have a process by which they're going to consider your unusual circumstances should you have them. All right, here's a specific question, um, but I'm gonna read it because I think other people might have this question too. Um, student has an, a UTMA account with a certain amount of money in there. She was thinking about putting a CD where the student was considered the beneficiary of the CD. Is that going to help? No, because no. you're still the owner, right? The beneficial owner. And it still counts against yeah. the student, which counts worse, counts more, have more heavily penalized than the parent asset. Yeah. All right, Adrian. Two questions from Adrian back to back. What about the service biz? you know like a law firm or something i mean i, I uh in terms of how i, I think the question is about how value. you value it right. yeah low um next question from adrian css doesn't even account for cost of goods sold in their calculations so there's that ridiculous well it, but your income 
um, that falls to your bottom line is it net does. of your cost of growth. It is. Yeah. So, right. so it is factored in there. So, um, Melissa, will equity in rental properties owned by the parents still be treated as an asset? Yes. Or as a business? Asset. Can tax implications of sale of property be netted out? Well, if it's a potential sale, no. If it's something you've already done, that's different. I think I think that's what you're asking. Potential sale. Um, Sabrina Waters, personal question. Grandma has a 529 account for my daughter for around X amount. Do we list that? Do Not, we need to change a 529 account owner to a parent? So no. answer that as a FAFSA first, and then talk about it for other financial applications. Okay, so for the new rules under 20 for 2425, uh, grandparent 529 money should not be reported on the FAFSA. And the old rules. Right. However, on the CSS profile, there is a question about uh, resources from relatives. So that is where you would include a grandparent 529. Question from Lorraine. There's, uh, there's so much info that you are discussing. Can we watch this later? Yes. See it again and again, like popcorn, cat, like for sure. cats. Um, Victoria, I have a pair of twins going to college. Can you please recap the impact about more than one kid in yeah. college? It's looking like for FAFSA schools, you're going to be treated the same as if you had only one kid going yeah. to college. But for CSS profile schools, if they're applying to some of those, then maybe there won't be any issue. We don't know yet. That's that's right. the uncertain thing. Um, Sue, so. Grandparents want to donate to kids' college. Oops, I just lost if, Sue. If grandparents? If grandparents want to donate to kids' college, it won't count as the child's asset or income? Question mark. Under the new rules, no. Good. Um, Robin, uh, not us. I'm disregarding my divorce agreement and letting, okay, letting my ex Private. claim both children. I'm not saying his name. Okay. Thanks to Pearl's advice. All right, next. Thanks, Kristen. Can you restate the divorce situation with regard to who is claiming child on taxes? Okay. Whoever claims a child fills out FAFSA? Yes, that's yeah, correct. Right. Whichever parent claims the student on the 2022 tax return is the custodial parent for okay. financial aid purposes. Yes. All right, Iris, uh, question and clarification. So as a, a, a sophomore for the 23-24 year, which is 24, does the FAFSA filer use their 21 tax form? Okay, so right now you have a sophomore in college, college and you're applying now for next year? Yeah, 22. So, so she has for the for the software for, for twenty three twenty four year. That's that's what we're in we're in right now. No, that's what we're applying for now. Next year, yeah. right? Yeah. For the for the for September twenty three that goes that school year that right. begins September twenty three. Twenty four. You're going to use the twenty twenty one tax return. For one that ends in twenty four. Yeah. For twenty three twenty four, use the twenty twenty one tax return. For 24-25, when the FAFSA rules Got change, it. we use the 2022 tax return, the one that people are filing right now. You're good. I try. You're good. Um, Nancy, so I'm hearing, basically I'm hearing Congress and the Senate now found a new way to fund their slush fund since student loans are at zero percent. Um, I'm not really worried about them funding slush funds. That, that happens without us ever knowing. Janice, uh, same question as Kristen. 
financial situation of the custodial parent. Yes. Kurt, do the changes affect Medicare payments or Social Security disability? Are the, so are those still are those still penalized? Um, I, I think the rule is silent on that. I didn't yeah, see that. I have not. Right. I have, it is not in the list yeah. currently of the untaxed, the treatment of untaxed income. So we believe that is penalized. Um, Adrian, what's funny is that the CSS schools meet after the May 1st deadline for all of this. <laughs> um, the reality is this information just came out in terms of the timeline that they're saying it's going to be available. And by the way, I don't even know if they're, they're going to stick to the December yeah. timeline. That's like, if that's the most generous time they're giving us, it could even be later than that. So my speculation could be that they won't be ready to roll that out for 24, 25, and it may get pushed back to 25, 26, if that's really what they're thinking, because forget us parents, but I think lots of colleges would be like, what? We can't work under these conditions. Uh, there's no way. Yep. So. Question from Nancy. What happens for kids in college when you don't have to complete the CSS after the first year? Then you don't have to. You just complete the FAFSA. And well, again, that may, that may, you have, we may see some changes with that, too. There may be some colleges that go back to requiring it after the first year because of the simplification. Right. But if they don't and you are someone who's filling out a FAFSA and feels confined by the fact that there's no place to provide an explanation, again, the new rules say that each school is going to have to have some mechanism policy you know vehicle through which they have to consider and hear special circumstances unusual circumstances janice are they still not considering the value of the primary residence as an asset right they are not but for still. css profile css profile they do consider the uh, equity that you have in your primary residence, and there is a portion of it. I don't know exactly what that figure is. I don't believe it is the same treatment as the as a regular bona fide savings account that a parent has at that 5.64% penalty, but it's something other than nothing. Question from Kurt. When will we find out if these changes go through? Well, right now they are expected to go through. When? But every when. I can tell you. I can't tell you exactly because I, I really don't you. know. But I can tell you. Really? Yeah. When? When it happens? Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> At um, eight thirty-two p.m. We don't know. I can't answer that. Right. Sherry, divorced parents. Next year, father is scheduled to claim students, but lives out of state from where student attends college. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Mother lives in state. Would we expect that this would trigger a problem with the student's in state status? No. So that's not really having to no. do anything with what we talked about, but it shouldn't. No. But, it right. shouldn't. Carrie, so loans that were taken out for the current year for a freshman, mm -hmm. is the interest suspended on those as well or just previous loans? Right now, and if you have a current freshman, interest on the rates right now are suspended. So if you were to log in, uh, with your FSA ID to the student loan site, it would show you your principal borrowed, principal amount borrowed with zero interest having accrued. Okay. Question from Miriam. If my sister-in-law wants to help pay for college, 
Does she yeah. have to open a 529 or can she just make a payment to the college? Yeah, her choice. Yep. Carrie, we have an unconventional loan from my parents, so I don't have to pay interest, more like a promise note, promissory note probably. Do I have to report it as income for my FAFSA this year? I don't file yet. Well, it wouldn't be income because it's something you owe. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't see how, but we'd have to know more about that. Right. Um, I'm just going quickly because we want yeah, to wrap sure. up. Uh, Victoria, if my rental payment is net about the same after mortgage, I guess this is a, an investment property. And on the expenses, how do I show it on the FAFSA? Will it be reflected on income tax return already? Yes, it will be. Yeah. But in terms of the value, you want to lowball it. Right. Uh, Rebecca Tudor, capital gains from sale of house is penalized. Yes. Well, if it's, 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 it's treated it, the same. If it's a, if it's going to show up right on your line seven of your 1040, which is where your capital gains tax incurred for the year of sale, right. uh, that's unchanged. But it's certainly worthy of an explanation, potentially, as a hey, this was a one time artificially inflating my okay. income. Bucket. Question from Sue Similar to grandparent, non relatives donating to kids' college won't be considered student asset or income? Correct. Correct. Ke uh, Kelly Callum, full name, um, if that's your real name. Uh, if the custodial parent is losing child support because the child is now 18, is it worth reporting that change to financial aid? I yes. Would. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a new information. You know, and it's a resource you no longer have to pay for college. Yep. All right, running out of time here. We're already over. Question from Carrie. Currently, from what I understand, you do not have to report the amount of money in a business account if you have only one employee, that's actually not the rule, but. Right, but the answer is your business assets are not part of the financial aid formula. Currently, Correct. But, Correct. but going forward, they are. Right. Sue, can a child 18 years emancipate from from parents? Um, not casually. Well, the answer is that's hardly ever done anymore because right. it's a complicated legal proceeding and you've got to prove that the child's not receiving any support. Basically. Exactly, and you will have to show documentation of that complicated legal proceeding in order for that to have any kind of effect. Um, Robin, <laughs> current client plug, the peace of mind from being able to reach out to Pearl with new questions is well worth the retainer. Thank you, Robin, and I agree. Um, Sam, yes, a lot of information. Can you send the recording? Yes, we will. Uh, Cameron, the CSS profile asks for all 529 money for all kids. Do they, do they yes. Do they divide that equally for the student applying? No. Um, Nancy, thanks, guys. You're the best. I'd be lost without you. And last question. Adrian, so if a grandparent sends money for the, our 529, they should now just send that money to the college. Yes. Good, good strategy. Yes, in 24. Yeah. Nice. Nice resounding finale right there. It's like a fi fireworks, you know. Da, 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 da. Okay, so um, thank you very much for spending your night with us, and uh, hope you. Well, I know you did, but I, I was going to say I hope that you got value out of this. Um, yeah. I know you did because you know there, there's no one who knows this stuff better than my little lady here. Uh, so if you are interested in, in talking to her uh, or, or us about you know getting her in your corner. That's that's great. You can just click the button that's right there on the screen. Uh, otherwise, thanks for watching, and we will be back. I don't know, some point in the 
indeterminate future. We'll certainly be back to report updates on this because this is a very fluid, ever-changing situation. So as soon as we have new information to report, we will get back on the air and report it to you. So what if it's December 24th? I'm willing. Okay. There you have it. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle group coaching membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.